So last week I made an announcement and I basically said that in a week's time, actually no, in six days time, I'm going to be um, ordained as a deacon in the Church of England. Amazing, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I know for some of you guys, you don't know what a deacon is, but essentially it just means that um, I'm going to be officially orthodized um, as someone who serves the church and also serves God's people. And it means I get to do some like really cool stuff like officiate weddings. So some of y'all are ready. I'm your guy. Amazing. Amazing. But I just want to say, um, yeah, a big thank you to all of your support. I know there's some people in particular in our community um, who actually had some prophetic dreams and prophetic words about this time. And it's so interesting and it's so exciting to actually see it come to light and stuff. So if you want to know more about the story behind the scenes, please come and ask me. I'll gladly share. Amazing. So we are continuing our series of post-lockdown Christians. And, you know, despite the constant date change, there will be a day when we do come out of lockdown. Hopefully it is, you know, July 19th. I am praying for that day and I can't wait to take off my face mask. You know, God help us. Um, But for many of you guys, I know it does feel like things are actually back to normal. But in this series, it's really about equipping us in terms of, you know, post-lockdown life. What does it look like for us to be Christians, especially out of lockdown? And I feel like because we are entering a new season, it's really important that we emphasize on emphasize a new posture of our faith or perhaps even reiterate some things that are necessary to our to our faith in this particular season and Joelle uh, shared an amazing word last week can we just give it up for Joelle I'm sure he's watching somewhere But Joel, he shared an amazing um, message last week, basically talking about how we can create rooms, um, how we can create room for God in our days and in our weeks. And I know for many of us, this perhaps might have caused a personal challenge to us, because after a year of lockdown, it seems like finally we can socialize, we can eat, we can drink, and we can hang out with our friends. And... You know, it has been, I feel like for me personally, his word was such a challenge because I actually had to look at my life, I had to look at my week and actually um, think about, am I creating enough space for God? And the thing is about this season that if we are not intentional in creating space for God, then slowly our personal time with God um, and fellowship with other Christians are going to fade away. And before you know it, perhaps you might become that person that's like, hmm, God, my social calendar is too busy this week, so I can give you Sunday. And then on top of that, you might start thinking, actually, um, there's a lot of great Sunday brunch events. So um, don't worry, God, I'll catch up with service online. And I'm not saying that um, online and watching online is a bad thing. Shout out to all those people online. But what I'm clearly saying is that if we are not intentional with creating space for God, then this season is going to eat up our time. You know, um, <laughs> for some reason, I am keep on getting spammed with emails uh, 
from Afrobeats and brunch events. <laughs> like, I don't know why. I keep on, I keep on trying to like commute it, and I've blocked them many times, but they're, <laughs> they're still making it all their way to my inbox. And yeah, I'm being invited to Afrobeats and brunch events, and even personally, you know, just um, different friends or different people I know. I'm being invited out for dinner, exhibitions, you know, coffee, basketball, meetup, and etc. And I'm sure that many of us um, are pretty much in the same boat. And it feels like slowly our lives are being filled with things other than God. And for some reason, um, like I was saying before, if we are not intentional in, in actually creating space for God, then we are going to see the deterioration of perhaps our faith and perhaps our intimacy with God. You know, this might mean practically that some of us have to say no to particular motives. And I actually had to learn to say no. I actually had to learn that it's not every motive I say yes to. And motives themselves are not bad, but it can't come at the expense of my own personal relationship with God. Especially if I'm not exercising moderation or prioritizing. And there's a picture that I would like to come on the screens now, if you guys can see it. Let's just give the team a second. Okay, amazing. Has anyone seen this picture before? Sorry, am I in the way? Are you guys going to see it? Has anyone seen this picture before? So this is basically a sand and rock um, analogy, and it's an analogy all about prioritizing. And I just want you for a second to just, to just see the, the big rocks as your own personal time with the Lord and to see the sand as, you know, everything else in your life. So just imagine that for a second. So the sand can be perhaps all the different motives, the events, the brunches, Afrobeats, <laughs> and exhibitions. <laughs> and we can see clearly in the picture um, on the left-hand side that if you prioritize, you know, perhaps other things, perhaps motives, rather than prioritizing God, then eventually your life is going to look like this, where all those different things are going to eat up at you and you're actually not going to have enough time with the Lord. And the reason why I believe it's actually important that we spend enough time with the Lord is because um, when the Lord feeds into different aspects of our lives, it brings refreshments to other aspects of our lives. And I'm going to be talking about that later. But, you know, there is another way that we can interact. We can, um, we can basically have a faith and have a habit of the second picture on the right-hand side, where we prioritize God, where we first seek him, and literally, as Matthew says, everything else is added. And in some aspects, everything else makes sense when we put God first. Our relationship with God starts spilling over into your relationship with others, into your career, into your interests, and into your pursuits. And you start to live a life that's just not like the left-hand side picture, where your life is basically, um, I can't pronounce this word, but where your life is essentially not um, put into different compartments where you say, okay, I'm just going to have God here and my morality, but where your life basically looks like someone who, who, is, who their faith basically fuses into all aspects of their life. 
And yeah, and this is, and there's just this helpful picture. I believe it's actually in John chapter 7, verse 38, where scripture says that those who come to him and believe in him will have rivers of living water flowing out of their hearts. So just imagine that picture. This is what happens when we intentionally spend time with God. It's like, it's like rivers of living water starts to bring health and vitality into all aspects of our life. And this is what God is promising. He's saying, come to me and you will see I will bring nourishment and refreshment into all areas of your life. And essentially, that was a really long intro, but I actually feel that this is something that we need to highlight, especially in this season, to highlight that we need to create space for God. We need to perhaps say no to particular things. And we need to be honest with ourselves and say, actually, God, am I prioritizing you in this season? Because ultimately, it will eat up your time and it might actually eat up the sense of peace, the sense of joy, and the sense of reassurance that you have in your life. So um, today we are actually, I'm not talking about that, but today we are actually looking at a different subject. We are talking about a new way of living. And we are doing a study on the Beatitudes from Matthew chapter 5. Essentially, this is otherwise known as the Sermon on the Mount. So let me just set the stage for a second. So Jesus went out to pray on the mountainside and he spent all night praying to his father. God the Father. So in aspect, he was probably energized by his father and he received great clarity from his father. And scripture says that when morning came, Jesus called 12 disciples and appointed them as apostles. And he went down with them to a low level. He came down from the mountain. And when he came down from the mountain, it says that a huge crowd of Jesus' followers um, came to him. And they came to hear him speak and also came to be healed and delivered from their diseases and even from demonic torment. They came to him. And Jesus looks at all of his disciples and his followers and he essentially goes into a description of describing a new way of living, a new way that he wants his followers to abide to. And I actually feel like this parallels um, the story in Exodus where uh, Moses was on Mount Sinai and the Lord explicitly spoke to him and Moses came down with two tablets that had the Ten Commandments, two tablets that basically described how God wanted the Israelites to live. And in some, and in a, and I guess in a similar fashion, Jesus came down from the mountainside, and he received clarification of how um, followers of him are called to live. And I'd like us to look at that. So let's turn to Matthew chapter five, verse three, and I'll be reading from the NIV version. Okay, I'll dive right in. Matthew 5, verse 3. It says this, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are all the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. 
Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets um, who were before you. Okay, so this is otherwise known as the Beatitudes, and Beatitudes basically means the blessings. And we can see repeated throughout this text, Jesus says this word, blessed. So in the earlier versions, um, so this is obviously the book of Matthew. So the, earlier, the earliest version that we actually have of Matthew is, read, is written in ancient Greek. And the word blessed is the word uh, makorai which essentially means happy or how fortunate. And in our context, we can basically translate it to mean like, you have made it. And if that's the case, there's quite a few unusual statements that Jesus makes that our society and even in our culture perhaps would not consider it as making it. Like for example, Jesus says you are blessed if you're poor in spirit. So just imagine, he's saying, you've made it if you're poor in spirit. You've made it if you're mourning. You've made it if you're meek. You've made it if you're persecuted um, because of righteousness. You've made it when people insult you. And I think it's crazy that he sees all of those things as making it. He sees all of these, these things as someone who is in that situation as fortunate. Because let's be honest, if your friend came up to you and said, you know, I am being verbally abused um, in, my, in my workplace by my colleagues because of my faith, you wouldn't say congratulations, would you? If anything, you'll be like, oh my gosh, are you okay? But Jesus is essentially saying, well done, congratulations, you've made it. For many of us, this doesn't look like a blessed lifestyle. For some of us, perhaps a blessed lifestyle looks like a great career, a loving relationship, reaching your fitness goals and having a growing fan base and Instagram account. And even though all of these things can be great and they can seem as a blessing when they are ordained by God, it doesn't make the cut when Jesus makes a list of things that he calls blessings. To some extent, it actually might even counteract it. You see, Jesus shatters the perceptions of what it looks like to be blessed, not just in his day, but also in our day as well. So let's really dive into some of these blessings. So let's go to verse 3. It says, Bless are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I'll read that again. Bless are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So the Greek word for poor is patoras which essentially means extreme poverty. It refers to the type of poverty where you have nothing going for you, where you have nothing to your name. You literally can't survive without the help of other people. You are completely dependent on other people. And Jesus is saying to us, to his followers, bless are those who are poor in spirit. So essentially, he's articulating that blessed are those who do not pride themselves in their ability, in their intellect, and in their strength, especially when it comes to making a way out for themselves. He's saying blessed are those who are not self-reliant or self-assured. And let's be honest, in our culture, in our day, it celebrates self-sufficiency. And there's this refrain that echoes through our culture that says, I don't need anyone else. I'm good by myself, and I definitely do not need God. 
But Jesus says, blessed is the person that realizes that they are nothing without God. Who realizes that they can't earn a relationship with God, his love, his forgiveness, provision, answered prayers and salvation based on their own merit, performance or credentials. But can only receive those things because of of the sheer generosity of his heart and his rich mercy. And it's interesting because often we actually try, we, often we fall into that pattern where we try to earn things from God based on the things we do. But ultimately, we are poor. There's nothing that we can do good enough. We have to rely on his sheer generosity. And the person that acknowledges their poverty before God, Jesus says, will receive theirs, would receive from God, essentially, when he says, theirs is the kingdom. But the person who has too much pride, perhaps on their own moral compass or their affluence or their status, cannot receive anything from God. And let's turn to the following verse, verse 4. It says, Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. So I would just like to note that Jesus here is not talking about mourning over someone who has died, over a loved one that has died. But he's essentially saying, Blessed are those who mourn over their sin and the sin that occurs in the world. And I'm sure that many of us can relate when you've done something wrong and there's this feeling of deep grief and sorrow of what you did to yourself or perhaps to others. Or perhaps you might have seen someone in your life that's going completely, that's going completely off track and your heart is grieved by the direction they are going into. And perhaps you might even feel this more corporately in our society when people are turning away from God. And this type of grief, this type of mourning is what Jesus is talking about, mourning over sin. And Jesus says, blessed is the person that mourns. That in a sense acknowledges their own spiritual brokenness and the brokenness around them. That doesn't just pretend like there's no brokenness in them, that they've got everything figured out. Or that doesn't give into denial or try to justify themselves. But that is humble and honest before God. Jesus promises that these type of individuals that promise that, that acknowledges I am broken before God, he says that they will be comforted essentially comforted by the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit will continue to do the work, his work inside of them in their lives and in their hearts. So especially as we are going into a time of summer post lockdown hopefully, it's important that in moments of brokenness the best thing that we can do is to be honest and raw before God which essentially gives him permission to enter our brokenness and restore us. You know, grief and mourning is not the destination, but often it is the path that God uses to show us the uh, blatancy of our sin in order to humble us so we are in a posture where he can heal us. Amen? Verse 5, let's look at that one. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. And what does it mean to be meek? I feel like it means this, to be strong, confident, assured, yet humble, gentle, patient, and forgiven. I'll read that again. To be strong, confident, assured, but yet humble, gentle, patient, and forgiven. 
In Jesus' day, the idea of being meek was literally seen as a sign of weakness. Like someone who could not defend themselves, who didn't have the confidence to defend themselves or to actually claim what was rightfully theirs. Essentially, if you were meek, you were considered to be a pushover and you would be overlooked or taken advantage of. And maybe there's a few of us that have felt that, so we feel a need to project or perhaps to really articulate when we, are un- when we are unhappy, especially when someone hurts us. But Jesus says these words that bless are those who are meek. Again, strong, confident, assured, but yet humble, gentle, patient, and forgiving also willing to submit themselves and even their skills to others. And he promises that they will inherit the kingdom of God. No, they will inherit the earth. So meek people essentially have an understanding that God watches over them and has their best intentions in mind. So essentially, they don't give up, they don't give into the temptation where they don't give into the temptation or trying to pave their own reality or trying to pave their own way for themselves or, or try to get their own justice. For they know that they will inherit the earth. Ultimately, by taking a humble approach, Jesus is saying that you will not end up with the short end of the stick, that you will be provided for that essentially God will justify you. There's no reason for you to justify yourselves. And also something I would just like to highlight about meek people is that they carry great humility. And I feel like this has huge implications, especially for summer. You know, in this season, there's a temptation to promote yourself, to do the most, to get the coolest clothes, to get the cleanest fade, to get the best Instagram shot, and literally to present the best version of yourself. But imagine if we took the words of Jesus seriously. Imagine if we were different, where we didn't give in to the temptation to do the most, to be at the showstopper at every social interaction that we enter. Imagine if your posture this summer was not to look for ways to get noticed and to get attention on you, but to be meek, to be humble, affirmed in the fact that if no one else notices you or invites you out, God sees you. Or what about you decided this summer, I'm going to be patient with the people around me, patient with my colleagues, my boss, my friends, and my family. And like how it says in Matthew 5, verse 44, perhaps you might even be willing to pray for those who hurt you. And this ultimately is a new way of living. It's a way of living that completely counteracts our culture. And I would like us to look at one more um, blessing because I know we're running out of time. It says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. I'll read that again. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. You know, I feel like there's two approaches to this. In other words, for someone who thirsts and hungers for righteousness, they're a person who is desperate to reflect God in their life, even in their minds, in all aspects of their life. And they are also desperate to see justice, even in the broader sense, and all over the world. 
There are people who their own personal sin grieves them and the sin of the world grieves them as well. And they can't wait for all of it to be eradicated. Essentially, their hunger and thirst, their appetite has not been satisfied. And Jesus, for these people, promises that one day the kingdom of heaven will prevail. And there will be a day that where there will be no more suffering, there will be no more evil. And we can read this in Revelation 21. But I also feel like there's another way we can interpret this scripture. You know, this perhaps is a promise for those who hunger and thirst to have a right standing with God. Who hunger and thirst to be at peace with God. And simply, they can just put their faith in Jesus. Jesus is the one who puts a right, um, puts a right standing with them and God. And I think there's also a question here about priorities. What do you hunger and thirst for? And I know for some of us listening, perhaps if we're being honest, you know, we <laughs> can't really say that we hunger and thirst for righteousness. Perhaps we don't have a zeal for God. Perhaps we feel like God is not really our biggest priority. But perhaps you're even listening to me and you're thinking, I actually want to be that person. I want to be that person that hungers and thirsts for righteousness. And I just want to say that this is something that you can't just conjure up yourself. But actually, you need God's help. And all you need to do is to start with this by acknowledging that, yes, you are poor in spirit. And maybe if this relates to you, admitting that in some aspects you carry some level of pride where you've been following your own agendas. And if you acknowledge that, yes, this is me, I I am poor in spirit, then this again gives permission for God to do a work in you and in all of us. As verse 3 says, it starts off with humility, that you don't have it all together, that you need more of him. And Jesus answers that those who carries this posture, who hunger and thirst, will be filled. We can read the rest of um, verse 6. Those who hunger and thirst will be filled. Those who hunger and thirst will be filled. He will sustain our appetite. He will come and fill us. And I actually only went through only four, of, um, only four of the Beatitudes of the particular blessings. And we're going to look at the other five next week. But my prayer is that especially as we go into summer, as we approach post-lockdown life, that we allow these statements from Jesus to offset our priorities, to address our characters and our actions, but primarily to remind us that we constantly need him and we need to be dependent on Jesus.